millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and the former Chelsea, Benfica, West Ham and Charlton left-back, Scott Minto, as we look back on a thrilling opening weekend of the Premier League. Grab the snacks, fill the fridge, the Premier League is back. It's only taken Erling Haaland three minutes of a new season. Business as usual. All three of us were at Stamford Bridge yesterday, although in different places. Me and Crook sat together, Scott didn't tell us that he was there. Which I thought was a little bit uh, unnerving. And are, are we uh, spending too much time together? I told you the day before. We worked together the day before for hours at the Emirates. And I said <laughs> I will be at Stanford Bridge tomorrow. Oh, did you? I might have forgotten that. Sorry. Um, anyway, we were there. It was a great game. We are like a married couple. Then you don't listen to me. <laughs> That's the problem. I've listened. You never to told you, me. I'd have been up for a post-match beer. Of yeah, I'd have been up for that. Uh, right, big news uh, on the pitch and off it. It was a brilliant game to be at, and it was uh, it was entertaining, wasn't it? Uh, but it is over the transfer saga of the summer with more twists and turns than a rattlesnake in a potato sack. Caicedo is blue. Crook, do you need a lie down? <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think this is the transfer saga of many a transfer window, not just this one. Friday morning, early hours, I got the information that Liverpool had had their record fee agreed. And then here we are, Sunday evening, suddenly Chelsea have had an even bigger British record fee agreed. I think Caicedo made it pretty clear that he wasn't interested in Liverpool. You have to ask the question, why did Liverpool let it get that far with no encouragement from the players' side? But what they have done is driven Chelsea's price up. It's a huge upfront payment. The add-ons are achievable. I think it'd be an excellent addition for Maurizio Pochettino. But what a deal for Brighton. Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit later on about what it does to Chelsea's midfield. But let's talk about the spending. $830 million in two and a half transfer windows. Wow. How on earth can Chelsea afford to do that? Surely at some stage, FFP is going to buy. And as I understand it, Crook, they are the favourites to sign Romeo Lavia as well, which means another £55 million. Um, afterwards, at the press conference, Jurgen Klopp, um, made some pointed remarks towards Chelsea, didn't he? He was told by uh, one journalist that um, Maurizio Pochettino had already been into the press conference room and told him that he still wants more signings, to which Klopp sort of scoffed and went, <laughs> yeah, well, that is what the Chelsea manager usually asks for and usually gets. Ouch. Ouch. No love lost between Chelsea and Liverpool, Scott. Um, but the fact that they've beaten Liverpool to a midfield player of that quality is important, especially bearing in mind what we saw yesterday, because 
those were the areas where both teams needed to improve. Yeah, absolutely. Look, in, in terms of the game itself, uh, isn't it a shame that neither of these teams would be in the Champions League? Because it felt not just like a heavyweight Premier League clash, but also a, a, a deep in the competition Champions League clash as well. But but you're right, as good as they were going forward, you know, defensively, I thought McAllister was superb, but he's a little bit better further forward. Uh, Chelsea were very good. Enzo Fernandez in there as well, but he will be better with Caicedo alongside him. And look, it is a lot of money and Crookie's right. You know, Brighton are the winners here, but at the same time, if you are overpaying for a player, the question is like Declan Rice, will he make your side better? And the answer is yes. Yeah, um, Conor Gallagher was trying to do too much in the opening 20 minutes or so. He needed an extra bit of help in there. Enzo Fernandez was playing on as a sort of eight and a half, nearly a 10 at some stages. Chuck Wemaker, I, I thought, needed to give Gallagher a little bit more of a hand because he was getting through too much work. There were too many in there for him to deal with. They changed that after about 25 minutes when the tide turned and Chelsea got level. They added Chilwell into a sort of hybrid back four, uh, midfield four. He sort of came up the pitch a little bit more and moved in field and helped out. And I thought that was really important. I thought he was terrific, Chilwell, in the game. But what do we make of the Liverpool midfield? Um, Gakpo is an eight. Shaboshlai is an eight. McAllister is a six. I think McAllister's brilliant on the ball and we saw him play one terrific ball out to Salah for the only goal that Liverpool scored in the game. Um, but he doesn't close down quick enough to play as deep as that. They, they need someone in there, don't they? Yeah, I think it looked a little bit imbalanced. I actually thought McAllister played quite well. I thought he was tidy on the ball. Maybe didn't get the chance to express himself going forward as much as usual because there were so many forward players on the pitch. But I think it's a major issue for Liverpool, not just Caicedo, but as you say, if Lavia ends up at Chelsea as well, I still think they're one player short in that midfield engine room. And I hope for Jurgen Klopp's sake, they have a plan to combat that. Otherwise... Based on what we saw, and listen, you shouldn't really judge on the first day of the season, but I think maybe my prediction of Liverpool to be guaranteed a top four place without that extra midfielder, maybe I might have to revisit it already. Okay, so you've had one game, you're revisiting your Liverpool prediction, and I'm sure you're going to change your Aston Villa prediction as well in the next few minutes, but we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've had 90 minutes of football. Um, A shaky start from Chelsea, but they conceded just one uh, one shot on target, Scott. Dominated possession, created more chances. There's promising signs for for Poch, and I thought one of the most promising one was uh, Raheem Sterling's performance. He was terrific. Do you know what? I thought there were a lot of positives. I really did. I thought Nisazi was brilliant, not just because of his goal. I thought he mopped up really well. We wondered whether Thiago Silva could play in a back four. And I was in the post-match pressure where Poch was saying, actually, was it a three? Was it a four? You know, with the ball, it was a three. Without the ball, it was a four. And it was Reese James dropping in and Chilwell was kind of like... Uh, as a left midfielder, but he wasn't really protecting Colwell. And I think Salah, in the, especially in the first sort of 20, 30 minutes, was was absolutely superb in exploiting the pace. But you're right, Raheem Sterling, there were people to me that had seen and even been on the, the pre-season tour with Chelsea that I was speaking to and said, Raheem hasn't really done much. He's lucky to be picked. So this was a big game for him. And I thought he was good. I thought Nicholas Jackson was really impressive. What a shame in Kunku's out for how long he is, because I think those two would have would have worked together really well. But there were so many positives. And you know what, Sam? We said in the text last night, Chelsea last season would have folded. Well, that was key, wasn't it? Because that was a turning point. Because that second goal for Liverpool, if that had counted, then it may well have been different. Because I remember looking at the Matthew Harding lower stand when that second goal went in. A lot of the Chelsea fans thought it was going to be allowed. And a lot of them got up. It was about 33 minutes, wasn't it? Got up and left straight away. 
and went to get their half-time cup of tea or whatever. And the mood would have been completely different had that goal accounted. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which again, shows the character that Chelsea now have that they didn't have. And I think Poch has made a, a big difference in a very short space of time. I think Crookie's a little bit harsh on Liverpool. It is the first game of the season. I thought they were good. And if that goal had been allowed, then they would have got three very good points against what I think is going to be a very decent Chelsea side this season. So, yes, they need an addition in midfield. But I, I still think Liverpool will be up there for top four. Okay, well, it's interesting. Yeah, it is the first game of the season. We shouldn't be overreacting. But, you know, bearing in mind that Liverpool have spent every single penny they've uh, um, laid on the table in the last two years, Crook, on attacking players, to have only one shot on target at Stamford Bridge, would you be a little bit disappointed with that if you were um, Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, I think I would. And, and obviously, he, he downplayed the reaction of Mo Salah when he was substituted. But you, you could tell that he was far from happy. Maybe he wasn't happy with the service that he received. I thought actually in the first half, Mo Salah uh, was very good. But Chelsea, in game, and this is where Pochettino is so good, that they, they combated Liverpool's early domination with a couple of tactical tweaks. He, he did push up Chilwell to be more uh, of a midfielder and almost make it more of a back four with Colwell shifting across across to left back. And that made them a lot more defensively solid. So, yeah, I, I think there were certainly more positives for Chelsea than for Liverpool. And maybe, bearing in mind that Chelsea's squad is far from complete. Pochettino has not had too long to stamp his authority and make his mark on the team. I think maybe Chelsea fans were pleasantly surprised with how far ahead they are in their development. I think I can tell you from experience that was definitely the case. Yes, pleasantly surprised, mm. was it? Uh, cautiously optimistic, I said about Nicholas Jackson before the start of the season. And yes, uh, I thought he played well, but currency's goals, he's got to score. And unfortunately, there was a couple of chances which maybe on a different day he maybe would have done. I think that's going to be important for him over the next couple of weeks to get off the mark, get a goal and see if he can get into sort of, you know, 15 goals or 16 goals a season. That would be acceptable, I think, for him this campaign. Sterling, uh, brilliant, I've already mentioned. Uh, they do need someone like Caicedo in the centre of midfield, someone who will close down the spaces really quickly, win the ball and then distribute it well. And Caicedo certainly um, <laughs> certainly manages to, to, to represent someone that uh, can do that. 115 million quid is a lot of money for a defensive midfield player. However... That is the current trend, isn't it? Enzo Fernandez, Declan Rice, Moises Kai, Sado, um, Jude Bellingham isn't a defensive midfield player, but he's a central midfield player who can play uh, deeper and, and break into the box. And midfield players are the are the are the diamonds at the moment, Scott, that are worth the high currency. Well, well, they are, and I think it shows in in today's football how important that kind of even a holding midfielder is. Or I, I think they can all do a little bit more to say they're just a holding midfielder. I think absolutely holds them, and they. Yeah, they are capable of more. But I think it shows that they're almost like the glue, aren't they, for, for any particular team. And, you know, both with and without the ball, they are just so important. So, look, it is what it is. If clubs have got money, if they can do their uh, FFPs, then they're all OK. We'll have to see that Chelsea's future transfer window is to see what's happening there. We know they're spreading the contracts out, but still, it's a lot of money being spent. If the finance boys are saying it's OK, go for it, because he is a, a top, top player. OK, what about Liverpool then? Crook, are they spending any money in order to try and stiffen their midfield? And who are they looking at? If they don't get, well, they're not going to get Caicedo. They're probably not going to get Lavia now. So what happens next? 
Well, there's been a couple of midfielders that have been on their list, uh, I think, throughout the summer. One is uh, Gravenberg, who I think is at uh, Bayern Munich. I think Bayern were a bit reluctant to let him go earlier in the window, but it wouldn't surprise me if they revisit that interest. I think this is the key position now. Jurgen Klopp said at the end of last season, didn't he, that the midfield needed a revamp. Obviously, McAllister has come in. So, Boslow showed some nice touches, but I think he's, uh, he's far from the finish article has come in as well. But that holding midfield position is going to be the priority. Interesting because uh, last year, um, I think the journalists up on Merseyside were very keen to point out that Liverpool needed a refresh in midfield and Jurgen Klopp sort of batted away. And then after a couple of weeks of the season, he said, yeah, you were right. We do need midfield reinforcements. And it took him, them a while, him a while to, to, to realise it. Now they've done that. Um, they're looking to scramble around and try and get someone in before the, the transfer window. I think he's still a little bit irked by the fact that the, the cost is so very, very high. Even he thinks it's just... Absolutely uh, ludicrous. Um, right. OK, let's move on. Let's get to uh, some of the other games at the weekend. Uh, I was at um, the game on Saturday at the Emirates where Arsenal, oh, they were strolling around, the cigars were out. Everyone was having a really nice time until about 20 minutes from the end. And all the talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer can stop now. The real summer blockbuster is about to start. Saka, edge of the penalty area, goes past, left wing, drives the ball into the top left-hand corner of the net. And it's sent down the left by Alanga, who's running into the box. He sends it centrally, a one year there inside the six-yard box, and Nottingham Forest are back in it. A debut to remember for João Pedro. He won the penalty, he converted the penalty. Alanga inside the penalty area, and out of nothing, Bournemouth are level. And it's Everton nil, Fulham won, a real boat from the blue. This one, and it's uh, the substitute, Bobby over reed who has scored it. And Edwards just got to get in front of his marker. He pokes his left foot out and just popped it into the back of the net. You can hear the Sheffield United supporters still getting behind their side, but it's an uphill challenge for them now. Brighton 4, Luton 1, Evan Ferguson, the exciting Irish teenager, he's climbed off the bench to get in on the goal-scoring act. Aston Villa absolutely self-destructed. Newcastle 5, Aston Villa 1, trying to play offside, literally on the halfway line. Harvey Barnes, and he's marked his debut with a goal. Newcastle 5, Aston Villa 1. Premier League, box office. That's why the tickets are sold and the stands are packed. Well, this was an eventful game, wasn't it? This was uh, one of those matches where you uh, sit there and think, oh, great, first game of the season, live on Talk Sport. This is going to go swimmingly. The sunshine is out. Everyone's feeling good. Arsenal, full of optimism. Nottingham Forest have only signed one or two players. They're going to get roll over here. They lost 5-0 to Wren the other week. There's no chance that they can repel Bakayo Saka or... Uh, Martin Erdegaard or uh, even Eddie Nketiah. Um, but then 30 minutes delay because of ticketing problems. Um, Arsenal <laughs> feeling as if they sort of, you know, had to sort of go out and do their warm up again. So they came back outside of Forest and then eventually we got underway. And then it was business as usual. Arsenal on top until the end. And then they started to wilt under the pressure, Scott. It, it just reflected. I was asked on, on TalkSport on Sunday morning, um, you know, how would you sum up that game? And I said, well, it pretty much sums up last season for them. Absolutely superb and, and pretty much in control for 75, 80% of the time. And the last 25%, 2025, 20, um, they, they, they're all over the place. And they panicked, didn't they? It was, yeah. it was almost at one point in that first half, 
Sam, you know, someone's going to shout out any pims, anyone? You know, it's just, it's, this is a lovely little watch that we're, yes. we're, we're having. Who's bringing around the canapes? Uh, yeah, you, exactly. Okay, great, because it was just like sitting in the sunshine, glasses were out, the sunglasses were on, everyone was just relaxed, arms on the back of the chair, sleeves rolled up, get a bit of a tan. Then all of a sudden, Nottingham Forest thought, yeah, do you know what? We sense a little bit of a malaise here. We'll have a bit of this. Uh, Anthony Alanga, fantastic. I mean, runs the length of the pitch in about three and a half seconds, produces a pinpoint ball for a one-year, and all of a sudden, it is... 2-1. And then, as we say, the panic sets in. It was interesting being with Mikel afterwards because he was he was really, really urgently sort of trying to get all of his media duties done. And um, it was being rushed from interview room to interview room. In fact, the Norwegian television guy, um, he was uh, very famous. You, you you will know him. He used to play for Middlesbrough, uh, Jan Um he, um he he didn't get the, in, the interview um, that um, obviously they had entitled to because he was taking too long with another player and Mikel had to keep going on and doing all these things. Um, fair enough. Great. Uh, he then stopped because there was a dog in the tunnel and he had to cuddle it though. So he didn't do some of the interviews because he was too busy but then there was a dog that turned up and he was at his charming best. I, I kind of think that he's just that kind of character. He likes to have animals around to make him feel good and that sort of calmed him down. He then came into the radio room and he was nice as pie. Just keep the dogs coming guys. <laughs> maybe you should take along a dog to all your post-match uh, Arteta interviews you might get more out of him <laughs> that, that is that is brilliant um, and uh, yeah good information for our, uh, our pod listeners and viewers that they wouldn't be party to I'd be a little bit worried about Arsenal's lack of ruthlessness in, in this game because I think that was probably what set Manchester City and them apart at the end of last season you look at that game against Southampton at home that crazy game West Ham away when I think they were 2-0 up and didn't win there's no way that if City are 2-0 up at home to Forest they let Forest back in the game in any way and I think it's a habit that Arsenal need to kick if they're to be real contenders I just Sam just from from Forest's point of view I just wonder whether Steve Cooper might be thinking hmm should I put these on a little bit earlier because the pace that both of them had, Awani and also Alanga, really troubled Arsenal. And we were saying alongside Martin O'Neill, weren't we? Look, 2-0, they're completely comfortable, but 2-1 does make a difference. Now, if they'd have scored a bit earlier and, and the fans that were suddenly, you know, having the sunbathe and a glass of Pims were starting to get up and shout at their players. And you could sense the nervousness that Arsenal had. And I think, it's in, you know, Crookie's absolutely right in terms of the comparison between City, which was a difficult place to go, Burnley, promoted side, uh, the first game of the season. They knew how to see that game out. Arsenal still don't know how to do that at the moment. Yeah, um, it's it's fascinating to watch the sort of mood change halfway through that second half. Um, but ultimately, there were some good performances from Arsenal. You mentioned about the Nottingham Forest manager, Steve Cooper, not putting his substitutes on earlier. Well, I spoke to him about that after the game and he sort of suggested that both of them weren't really ready. Alanga's not up to speed with the group. He hasn't spent that much time with them. So then he's not really in tune with the rest of uh, them and how they want to play. As far as uh, one use concern, he rolled his ankle in a game against Leeds earlier in the pre-season. As a result of that, he he's only done a certain amount of um, training and he hasn't played in any other preseason game since then. So he wasn't 100% either. But those two players, with those two players in the squad, with Johnson, who again hasn't played much in preseason, looked a little bit rusty, with Morgan Gibb-White, you've got direct, fast attackers who have got no little skill and can cause problems. And you know the issue last season for Forrest was the fact that they didn't score enough goals. With those four 
on form, you've got a chance to do that. Still away form is, is a bit of a worry. That is something that's going to be labelled at them throughout the season until they change it. Gabriel didn't play in this game, though, did he? Why? Strange one, that. I mean, it absolutely uh, messed with my fantasy league team because he, he did the cardinal sin, Arteta, of bringing him on for a few minutes and he gets one point and stops someone else coming off the, the bench. the most important who- thing. Who may well have scored me some points. But yeah, that, it was a surprise. I mean, obviously what he's trying to do there by using a midfielder in the fullback position is follow what Pep Guardiola and I guess what uh, Pochettino did to an extent on Sunday and have defenders playing that hybrid role coming up into midfield. I think against better standard of opposition that they're going to need a proper back four. I, I certainly agree with that um, because party I thought did well for again 75 minutes and then once Alanga came on he had something to to deal with which was the first time in the game there was a bit of a space to be exposed there um, but it, it's interesting in tactical switch isn't it and I mentioned it on air about the fact that a lot of the, the managers now Scott the full bags sorry mate you might not get in these teams anymore because they don't want out and out full bags they want central defenders that can play as fullbacks and do double jobs. Yeah, yeah. People say you're jealous you're not playing now. I say no, at least I played back then. So, um, <laughs> you've been sitting on the bench you know, with Tommy Yasu and Kieran Tierney. Well, yeah, you, you know, Tommy Yasu is the centre half. Yes, yeah. You know, and, but, but, but a fullback for his club. So, you know, yeah, I was sort of more of a left wing, left back, left wing back, left winger type thing rather than centre half and left back. But anyway. I think it's about versatility, of course, in today's today's game. But it's also about that athleticism, which they all seem to have. And yeah, I think it's also a way of trying to get Kai Havertz into the side. Because, you know, I'm still not sure about him. I'm really not. I, I see him more of an Arsenal player than a Chelsea player. But I don't see... I think he's just another Arsenal player that they already had. And you're spending 60-odd million pounds. And again, Martin and I were talking, and I can't remember whether it was on air, on air or off air. And he was saying about this is the type of game that he needs to be scoring in to get his confidence up. Because if he goes five or six games without a goal and he's not particularly, play, you know, dominating games, then suddenly everyone's going to put even more pressure on him. And I think he's a confidence player. Mm. You know who I was disappointed with? Martin Erdegaard. Lots of touches of the ball, but wrong decision-making. So many times Bakayo Saka was playing out on the right-hand side and peeled out into a really good position and he didn't use him and he took an extra touch or he tried to play the Hollywood ball over the top when the simple ball to the right or left was, was, was the option. Maybe that's just because it's early in the season, but he was so good last season. His decision-making was brilliant. Just a couple of times I just thought, oh, yeah, you could have played that a little bit earlier. You could have chose to play that into the path of Saka. Get the ball to Saka. He's the star boy. Yeah. He is outstanding. Just give him the ball. Look what he can do if he gets it on the right side, cuts in on his left foot and arcs the ball into the top corner. He's the one that they need to feed. Sam, sometimes it's not rocket science. Sometimes it's just give the be- your best player the ball and leave him alone. Give as much space as possible. Don't try and overlap. Don't any f- midfielders come in. He, How good was he going forward in that particular day? He was brilliant. He helped out defensively. Uh, I mean, he's an absolute star. And again, we can't judge people. People, you know, talk about Odegaard. They're not 100% fit at the moment, but Saka looks like he's hit the ground running. He does indeed. Right, let's move on to Burnley against Manchester City. Manchester City sort of laid the marker, didn't they, on Friday night live on TalkSport when they beat Burnley by three goals to nil. Um, look, City have won 16 of the last 17 against Burnley now, an aggregate score of 40 goals 
to one or 43 goals to one now. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty impressive, but it is against Burnley, so don't read too much into it. I did think this was going to be slightly tighter. In fact, both Crook and I rather stupidly uh, suggested that it could even be a draw on Friday night. Uh, and although Burnley played okay in patches, Manchester City had taken the lead after about four minutes and then you know, everybody else just sort of realised three points were on their way back to the Etihad. Yeah, absolutely. Keep it tight, lads. I'm sure it would have been Vincent Company's last words before going out of the dressing room four minutes into your Premier League return to pick the ball out the back of the net is hardly the ideal start. We were starting to question Erling Haaland, weren't we, as well, after what scoring in one of his previous eight or nine games. He took four minutes to make us eat our words. Second goal he scored were. was... That- you were. <laughs> I was maybe maybe more in hope than expectation. Second goal he scored was absolutely sublime. I was a bit disappointed with Burnley. I, I expected a little bit more. Again, let's not judge them on the basis of one game against the treble winners, but they're going to need to play a lot better, I think, if they are to be comfortably clear of the relegation places, as I think all three of us expected them to be when we did the preview podcast. Must say, I thought that um, they did miss a couple of their loan players from last year. Ian Matson is at Chelsea now, uh, back at Chelsea now, and he, he did very well for them on loan last year. Obviously, there's no Nathan Teller this year for, for Burnley either, so it is a slightly different sort of approach to the attack. They gave a lot of debuts to new players. There was I to the, the team sheet, and I was like, interesting. I'm not entirely sure I've seen a lot of these people before. But anyway, we'll see them over the course of the next few weeks, I'm sure. One thing that did surprise me uh, when the team sheet came out was the name of Kevin De Bruyne. What are you doing? What, what are you doing? I don't even think the, the Manchester City players understood why this happened. I mean, far be it from me to question the genius that is Pep Guardiola. However, when a player hasn't played at all during pre-season, apart from 20 minutes in a community shield, it seems to defy the logic and the caution that is usually associated with Premier League football teams that the sports science guys wouldn't have said to him, I'm not sure he's 100% ready to start the first game of the season. Why would you gamble on the fitness of your greatest player for the first game of the season away at Burnley when he's played only a handful of minutes in pre-season, Scott, and had to leave the Champions League final with a hamstring injury, and now he's done it again. Well, Your Honour, you've um, you come up with a very good case there, I have to say. Look, the only way I can try and defend Pep, who I do think is the genius, again, you know what I think of him, is maybe he was only going to give him a half. You know, so maybe he would have treated that as a almost like a pre-season match. I don't know is the honest answer because you do make a compelling case. You don't want your best player out and they are fantastic, obviously, but maybe this was just his way again of building up more fitness. He was never down to play 90 minutes and at some point, He's got to start playing first-team football, even if it's not a full 90, because he got injured in the first half, don't forget. It wasn't as if he was injured in the 89th minute. So that would be my only defence. But yeah, eyebrows raised, but you need to get him up to speed somehow. So maybe it wasn't the full 90 minutes planned. Maybe. I mean, it was interesting when talking to people from who were at the game and in the tunnel and the suggestion was is that a lot of people even on the Manchester City players were were a bit surprised. I think even Kevin was a little bit uh, surprised too. Um, Crook, it reminded me actually of the situation that happened on Saturday as well when I was looking at this. Urian Timber, Jurian Timber, um, got injured just before half time. It was clearly a bad injury. He couldn't really walk after the first sort of two or three minutes of having treatment. He sort of hobbled off, then came back on. Then the, fo- the half time whistle blew. I wasn't expecting to see him in the second half. He came out, he literally went towards the ball, and then he did a really bad injury. And I thought, again, you know, in this situation, you're 2 0 up against Nottingham Forest. You've got a brand new player. You've got an asset that surely you want to protect. 
Why, if you were concerned about the injury, would you let him come out for the second half? You have five substitutes. Seems a strange one. Uh, again, um, I, I guess maybe it's an illustration of the desperation to get off to a winning start. Maybe genuinely they didn't believe that he was at risk. But yeah, that, that could be a big problem for Arsenal because I thought he played well in the Community Shield. I think Brilliant. he is that that fullback who can obviously play as a centre-back. So he, he does what Mikel Arteta wants him to do and what you know Scott Minto would be fearing if he was on the Arsenal book. So yeah, let's hope from an Arsenal perspective he recovers uh, quicker than maybe we anticipate. Okay, let's get to some of the other games that took place this weekend. Spurs started life without Harry Kane and Newcastle welcomed a new hero, Tunali. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Of all the games that blew me away this weekend, and there were some great tales up and down the country, the victory for Newcastle United was certainly headline because I thought like a lot of people, that they wouldn't be as good as they were last season. How stupid and naive of me. Uh, I thought that maybe trying to reintegrate some new players into that squad would be tricky. How stupid of me. I didn't think maybe they'd be as fit and as sharp at this stage of the season as they were at the end of last season, where they basically physically were, were so much more advanced than a lot of the, the, the teams in the league right to the very end of the season. How stupid of me. Um, and I thought maybe Tonali might take a little bit of, of time to settle. How stupid of me. Six minutes on the <laughs> clock. He is bossing the midfield. He's popping little passes around, breaking the lines, losing his marker, laying the ball off, having a shot from distance. Then it comes back into the penalty area and he flies in with a scissor kick volley to put his team 1-0 up, runs away in front of the Leeses end. And all of a sudden, I mean, this is i mean, this is a perfect dream start for him, isn't it, Scott? I mean, and it was a dream start for Newcastle. It was a dream start in every way, Sam. And I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I never judge teams, good or bad, on one game. And, and, and to say it was stupid of you that 
you, you don't think they're going to be as good as, as as they were last season. I actually still feel that they will struggle to combine Champions League and Premier League throughout the whole season. Tonight, look, he looked absolutely superb. It's a dream debut, dream start. I, I kind of predicted that it would be a home win. I still think that it was almost as much about Villa as it was about Newcastle. That high line, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, quite simply, you've got a bit of pace, you've got time on the ball. I'll just pick and choose my run as to when I'm going to make my run over the top. I mean, it was ridiculous defending. So as good as Newcastle were, Villa were absolutely shocking. I just I just don't judge teams, good or bad, after the first game. So, brilliant start. I don't know if Crookie's starting to get worry or if he got a text off Jim White. <laughs> I got a text off um, a lot of Newcastle fans. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, this is because Crook's had a £500 bet with uh, Jim White. He was goading into the bet because uh, Crook predicted that Villa would finish above them. And uh, we haven't stopped reminding him of this, um, especially in the aftermath of the 5-1 victory for Newcastle United. It's early days. Like Scott says, don't judge people on on one uh, performance. But they were poor, I thought, defensively. I, I must say, I thought that was one of the great Premier League debuts by Sandro Tonalu Crook. Yeah, and what you know about Newcastle fans is once they latch on to a particular player, you can very quickly become a cult hero. It happened, didn't it, with Bruno Guimaraes uh, when he first went there. And I think they're really excited about Tonali. I think they should be really excited about this performance because... A lot of us in the media, a fair percentage actually, an overwhelming percentage expected a drop-off from Newcastle. But they've got that momentum now. Again, it's only the first game of the season. But to produce that kind of swashbuckling performance at home, the atmosphere at St. James's Park was brilliant. And you just feel like the momentum from last season will carry on. Um, I'm just going to give you a bit of breaking transfer news because we've already discussed this player. Romeo Lavia... Liverpool, literally, I've just been told, have now agreed a £60 million package with Southampton. So Lavia will now decide whether to join Liverpool or Southampton. Breaking news on the podcast. Okay, all right. Um, By the time people listen to this podcast, obviously, that will either be done or not done. Um, Or it'll be blue or be red. I mean, you know, £60 million for a player that Manchester City didn't want two years ago. That seems like a lot of money, but fair enough. That's fair one bet I will be winning, by the way. I might not win my bet with Jim, Jim White, but producer Jeremy, who's, who's not on this podcast today, he bet me over some drinks. I said Southampton will get £50 million plus for Lavia. He said no chance, not for a championship player. I look forward to collecting. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, listen, as long as you're right on something, that's the most important thing. Back to uh, Tonali and Newcastle. Uh, brilliant performance, yes. A, a Eddie Howe made this sort of statement afterwards where he said, I fell in love with him watching him play for AC Milan last year. And the Newcastle fans certainly have fallen in love with him as well. Uh, but uh, it was a co- completely opposite debut for Pau Torres, who I must say, I thought had an absolute stinker at the heart of defence after coming off the bench in the first half, Scott. Now, listen, again, you can't judge a player on one game, but I always thought with Pau Torres, having done quite a lot of La Liga, that he, um, he's he got great skill on the ball. He's brilliant at passing the ball out from the back, but has he got the speed and the intensity to play in the Premier League? I did worry about that. His judgment for the fifth goal, going in right towards the edge of the centre circle in the opponent's half and trying to w- win a tackle he could never make, leaving a massive gap in behind, was, was woeful for an experienced international player. Very surprising. Uh, listen, they've got to sort that defence out very quickly and it doesn't help that Tyrone Mings is going to be out for a while. Well, it was interesting that, you know, it wasn't a question of Mings and Torres. There was talk about maybe Torres playing left back 
Um, but once he came on, yeah, he, he didn't play like an experienced international. He played like a 17-year-old who was making his debut, didn't he? Not quite sure whether to stick or twist. I, I think he'll learn quickly. Uh, whether he can handle the intensity of the Premier League, well, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I think, you know, you've got to trust Emery on the, on that. He's seen enough of him. He knows enough about the, of English football. And I think he's going to get a good run in the first team now, unfortunately, for Tyrone Mings. Yep. Uh, best wishes to Tyrone Mings. That did look a horrible injury. Um, highly rated new addition, Moussa Diaby. Took just 11 minutes to score his first goal. Crook's giving it the large. I told you he was going to be the star of the season. Yeah, but OK, the team's still lost 5-1 but uh, yeah he he did score a good goal yeah he did and I think he will get goals uh, and assists this season obviously defensively I'm surprised you weren't crowing about that more though when it happened I thought I was going to get like loads of texts from you saying I told you so I think I was driving, to be fair, and obviously I, I don't text at the wheel, so uh, you got away with that. Um, but I think, yeah, going forward, they'll be fine. I still think probably they need a, another option to, to Ollie Watkins. Obviously, they've got Zaniolo. Looks like he's going to come in from Galatasaray. He could be anything, by the way. When he was a young player uh, in Italy, they, they thought he was the real deal. Lost his way a bit of Roma, fell out with Jose Mourinho. But if he can get back to form, I think he'll be a good addition. Um, but if Tyrone Mings is out for any period of time, it is a concern. But they have got Diego Carlos to come back. So um, that will be a, a big bonus for an IM. They'll get better, Villa. They'll, they'll still be right up there. Keep the 24 faith. 24 years of age, Nico uh, Zaniolo. I saw him last year playing for Roma in the, the Europa League. Um, yeah, OK. We'll see what happens there. It'll be interesting. Brentford 2, Tottenham 2. <laughs> Um, they didn't win despite the fact that maybe they should have done because that penalty was outrageous Scott that was softer than butter yeah do you know what I, I looked at it and, and and obviously there's contact but there's not enough contact to make his body do what he did <laughs> so <laughs> you know it, it's Son obviously wearing the captain's armband he wants to try and track back he wants to try and help contact is made yeah, absolutely. But look, I just thought it was a really good game. I, I thought Brentford were very good. It's interesting they tried to sort of play out from the back when you, you know what Postacoglu's kind of style is, that high press. And it just made a really good game. And what I also liked, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, was James Madison. One, whenever he got the ball, it looked like something yeah. could happen. And also that number 10 position was, 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 is absolutely suited for him. But two, the fact that he wanted Harry Kane's number 10 shirt. I know, I love that. He's, he's, he's absolutely having himself, but in a really good way. So I really think that's a magnificent addition, even though that Kane, Madison would have been brilliant. You know, Madison, someone else will still be there because I, I really love the fact that he's confident in his ability, but he's also got the ability yeah, it to didn't show take him it. long to get an assist, did it? That free kick was an absolute peach for Romero, who uh, I hope is OK after a head injury. Um, Crookie, uh, we were uh, listening to James Madison speak after the game as well, right? And he did an interview with Alfie Reynolds in which he, I thought he spoke brilliantly too. He was, I mean, I know that Perry was sort of a bit sort of funny about what he actually said about the cards and about managing uh, the game, the referee managing the game. But he sort of taught, I thought he spoke so eloquently about it and maturely. He sounded like he wanted to take on a leadership role to me. Yeah, I think he's someone who's just going to grow into that Tottenham shirt. I, I did a, um, a preview earlier in the summer and suggested that maybe Spurs fans would take to him in the way they took to Paul Gascoigne. Now, I'm not saying that... James Madison is 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 the new Gaza, 
but he is that flair player, isn't he, that they've always attached themselves to. He's wearing that number 10 shirt, which not just Harry Kane, but he's had some uh, famous players who've worn that in the past. And you can see that he's embracing being a senior player at Spurs. And obviously it tells you how highly regarded he is already by Ange Postacoglu and his teammates that he's very quickly become part of this Tottenham leadership group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought Brentford deserve a mention, bearing in mind no Ivan Tony, but yet Vissa and Embermo score once again. They seem to step up in the absence of Ivan Tony. And you know, Brad, I love listening to Thomas Frank. I think she's just like a really cool guy. You can ask him any questions that you want. He's not like a... Sometimes I don't understand it with footballers and football managers, right? Okay, how the idea of asking them a question about something that has happened in the game or a selection policy or or why they've done this or whatever that sometimes they can take serious offence to. This guy, you can just ask him any question you like. doesn't matter who it's about or what it's about. If it's about football, he'll just answer it. He's he's quite happy. He's not going to offend anyone. He's just a fresh air, isn't he? He's, He's the guy who, you know, is part of that wonderful Brentford story. Um, off air he's, he's a really really nice chap he's what you see is what you get one player I'd like to mention though as well in that Brentford side is Rico Henry um, you know what's yes. up for him this season I thought he had a really good game and uh, you know I can see him pushing on for that you know, getting into the England squad if there are any injuries elsewhere or, or lack of form so really good player uh, again they're missing Ivan Tony, but they've showed they can win without him you know Brentford still won't have any issues in that so about a year ago when Shaw and um, Chilwell were the only available options and Chilwell had a big injury for England, I was saying on this podcast, Rico Henry, why is no one talking about Rico Henry? Every time I see this lad, he plays fantastically. He's got wonderful speed. He gets high up the pitch. He puts in brilliant crosses into the box. Someone surely is going to take a punt on him. I don't know whether he's gone under the radar or if there's something else that we don't know about that's stopping people from taking him, but... We're in a situation as a league and as a a nation where we don't produce that many good left-footed players. Scott, you know the statistics on on the number of people who are left-footed anyway and the number of people then that make it as professional footballers. There's a small percentage of left-footed English players that that, that make it into the professional game. I just don't get it. Why is nobody... Don't disrespect to Brentford. I'm not trying to sell him. Why... There's nobody else taking a punt on him. I don't get it. There must be something else going on there. Maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe he's got some sort of predilection to to eating marshmallows or something, and people don't like that. I, I don't. Maybe he likes to go to the <laughs> cinema, or he doesn't like football, or um, you know, maybe he just likes living in Brentford. He's got one of those flats that overlook the the ground. I don't know, but something's not right here. This guy's probably should be talked about more often than he actually is, Crook. Yeah, there was a stage, wasn't there, when England was struggling for for left-backs that that maybe a lot of Brentford fans in particular felt he was unlucky not to be um, included in the England squad. Newcastle are desperate to sign a left-back, but I think they're looking at a a loan deal rather than a permanent transfer, and I think he cost a few million quid to get out of Brentford. But if he keeps performing as he did on the opening day of the season and he can maintain that level, then surely it is only a matter of time before one of the big boys come in. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, let's turn our attention to Brighton versus uh, Luton because um, that was a baptism of fire for Luton. But we must congratulate James Milner on a 22nd Premier League season. Um, he's a, a terrific player, a terrific a professional. And after the game, he caught up with Alex Crook. James, what was the biggest factor in you accepting this project down on the South Coast? 
Um, I don't think there was one. I think just the whole setup and and the setup down there. I think the footballer played, um, the manager. Um, yeah, it just felt right. I think look, looking at it and, and where I am in my career and, and where this football club is in, in in their journey, it's been an amazing journey they've been on, and, and I feel like I can contribute a lot to that with with their, where they're at, and, and I'm, I'm loving every minute um, being down here um, in a new system with a, with a great bunch of lads. Um, so I think for, for both sides, hopefully it works great. You've played under a lot of different managers over your career, a lot of very successful managers. How would you compare Roberto De Zerbi? Yeah, he's top and he's top already and he'll, he'll, sure he'll be one of the best in the world um, in, in the coming years for sure. That's something that I've been very fortunate to work under some amazing managers, you know, one of the very best in Jurgen Klopp in, in recent years. So to have the opportunity to come and work under this manager at this stage of my career and, and, and learn more and um, learn new style of play and... and um, you know, I'm excited and enjoying every minute of it. He's so demanding that when you scored the first goal against Luton, he was still frustrated that the cross didn't come into the penalty area earlier, too frustrated to celebrate. Does that sort of give a little glimpse of how high his standards are? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's where we all want to be, you know, pushing and um, it's never enough. No matter what, what you achieve, no matter what result you win, can you win by more? Can you play better? Can you can you do things in a better way? Can you win more games? And, and, and that's what we have to do as a football club. Obviously, the journey's been fantastic for Brighton and the first year in, the, in Europe um, this season. That's an achievement, but it's not one to dwell on and think we've overachieved. It's one to push on, and, and that comes from the manager and things like that is obviously the reason why we want to keep pushing on and not settle where we are. We want to keep getting better, keep improving and keep pushing the boundaries that this football club's achieved. And just finally, a lot of talk about Moises Caicedo coming into the game. How, as players, do you sort of stop that affecting you in the dressing room? How do you shut it out? Yeah, I think obviously um, that's a club matter and for us as players we just come in every day and work as hard as we can um, in, in the manner the manager wants us to work and we have to concentrate on that we can't control what happens in, in the transfer market and players coming in and out what we can control is how we work on the training field every day and how we perform out on that football pitch And what an amazing array of attacking options they have um, Crook and I were doing our fantasy teams and uh, he said to me Ferguson is going to be Great this season. I said, yeah, I think Manchester United should have bought him. But he can't even get into the Brighton team uh, because they've got such a wealth of options now. And that's going to be a problem, isn't it? De Zerbe's going to be one of these managers that just winds you up. Um, uh, you don't know who, out of his array of stunning young talent, he is going to include in his team. Adingra was uh, in Belgium last year at Union saint Giroir. Mm. Scored too many goals, but it was a big part of their attacking um, triumvirate. Um, but they looked as if they could have got six or seven on, on, on Saturday. They could have got nine or ten, to be honest. They hit the woodwork three times. The goalkeeper, I think, has made a, a number of saves. Luton can't play that open in the Premier League because they're going to get battered. You know, they'll concede 90 goals if they keep playing like that. I, I think they'll improve and they'll learn from the experience. But Brighton probably were nowhere near their top level. I said to Adrian Durham, actually, I'm off to speak to Roberto De Zerbi after the match. He won't be overly excited about this performance, and he wasn't. You know, he felt there was more to come from his team, which maybe is ominous uh, for a lot of sides that are going to play in the not-too-distant future. I thought João Pedro was a real star. He's taken that number nine shirt, £30 million record signing, and I think he is going to be a really exciting player. But at the other end of the spectrum, James Milner, 620 Premier League appearances not out and Deserby made a special point of praising him after the game and saying what an important player he'll be for Brighton this season. He was terrific as well. I thought um, one of the ketones of the new season is this idea that 
managers need to perform a little bit more eloquently and um, calmly in the technical areas. They've got to behave themselves. They've got to make sure that they don't you know, get in trouble or tarnish the image of the game. Uh, Mikel Arteta bounding down the touchline is no more, although we did it on Saturday and no one really said anything about it. Um, but Roberto De Zerbi, so frightened is he about the number of red cars that he <laughs> is going to get, that he has bought himself a Brighton season ticket. So when he does get sent off, he's got somewhere to go and sit, which I thought was terrific. <laughs> what a story Absolutely that is. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant when he came out with that post-match. And you know what? You can't help but be engrossed by him. He's such an engaging character. Every word he says, and bearing in mind he still relies on an interpreter to do a lot of these interviews, means something. And there's always a, you know, a message in it as well. I thought that was a brilliant line that he gave us um, after the match. But actually, he was um, he was on good behaviour, Deserby. Um, maybe not quite as animated as he, as he has been previously, but when, you, when you're 4-1 up and coasting, I guess you don't need to be that animated. Uh, Sheffield United nil, Crystal Palace 1. Talking of animated managers, what about Roy Hodgson starting on Max Lowe? Um, <laughs> all right, Roy, calm down. You know, we've all had a, all had a beer. Chill out. Um, it was quite funny, though, wasn't it? It was almost like he was laying a marker down. Now, you young whippersnappers, I can still get you over my knee and give you a good hiding. Um, he, he got so angry about it. But he would have been very happy about the way his team performed. They absolutely dominated this game, Scott. Yeah, they did. And, you know, 1-0 doesn't tell the true story. And I think Paul Hegemotter knows exactly um, the, the uphill battle he's got. But it was brilliant. I mean, Roy has been feisty, hasn't he? Feisty the last sort of season or so, hasn't he, at times? And, and when he came back last season and played the sort of great expansive football, you're like, wow, OK, is he, it's not, has he reinvented himself here? But look, in one respect, it was the perfect place to go. Sheffield United's players and, and the fans probably are absolutely dejected with how pre-season's gone. And look, three points, one nil, should have been maybe three, maybe even four as well. Sheffield United, as we've said all season, will struggle. Palace, well, you know, Roy said at the start of the season, aim for top ten. You never, know. never know, indeed. Uh, I think they had 19 shots or something on goal uh, during that game. Loads of opportunities uh, during the match for Crystal Palace. Plenty of positives uh, for them. But they will be a little bit concerned about Mark Gurhey's injury, who um, had to come off in that game uh, because he picked up an ailment. Um, more concern for Everton uh, at home to Fulham. They did have 19 shots on goal. The data for this game was absolutely unbelievable, bearing in mind that they lost it. Um, I do not know how they didn't score. Patterson, Mope, Tarkovsky, Leno making more saves than you would ever imagine. The XG was 2.73 against 1.5 in Everton's favour. 19 shots, 9 on target. Fulham had just 2. Everton dominated every stat. But they never, ever score a goal. Neil Mope's gone 28 games without scoring a goal and he's leading the line. That is a major, major problem, Alex. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's an incredible stat for a striker. I felt a bit sorry for him with the, the you know, the personal abuse that he suffered on social media after the game. You know, he's not trying to miss these chances and actually had the early effort that just whistled past the post gone and it might have been a di different game, but... He does look like a player now who's totally devoid of confidence. Calvert-Lewin, I think, is due to play um, in an under-23 game this week to prove his fitness. So that'll be a big boost for Everton to get him back as soon as possible. And as we have been recording, 
Uh, I've had confirmation from Everton that Jack Harrison has signed on loan from Leeds. He's not fit to play yet, which is why Aston Villa, having tried to hijack that loan move, pulled out. But he'll be a decent addition. But yeah, on the evidence of what we saw at the weekend, yes, they created chances. But when you don't score them, particularly at home against a Fulham side, I think won't be quite as good as they were last season. It suggests that Everton are in for another very difficult campaign. I suppose Sean Dyche will argue, and he did argue, and he, he extenuated the positives after the game, actually. He was saying, you know, you know, performance was good, even if the goal scoring wasn't there. And just be honest about it, no one understands why the goal that we did score was disallowed. Uh, James Tarkovsky had an, uh, an effort ruled out after uh, a collision with uh, Burnt Leno. Should it have stood? I, I thought it was a soft award of a free kick in Burnt Leno's favour, Scott. Do you agree? Uh, absolutely. If you actually watch Tarkovsky, he's not even looking at the keeper. He's always kind of just looking away. So it's actually the keeper that comes into him. So therefore, the keeper has to, if he doesn't think he can catch it properly, he has to punch it away. He's decided to catch it. He's made the collision. He's dropped the ball. The ball's in the back of the net. It's a goal. And actually, that changes things completely. I do feel for Malpay, and if he'd have scored that chance in the first minute or so, then then who knows things could have happened. But, you know, that's what happens. But whoever gets the first goal in that game, especially Everton at home, was always going to be absolutely important. That should have been a goal. I don't agree that it was um, it was well, had a great goal. season last season, didn't they? They finished 10th, got to an FA Cup quarter final. They won some big games. It felt like a feel-good place. I think there was a lot of concern over the summer when Marco Silva was touted with a move. Giappolinia was targeted with a move. Mitrovic was on the, on the bench at the weekend after saying that he wants to leave the club as well. So there was a little bit of trepidation amongst Fulham fans to get three points on the board away from home nice and early, I think would have pleased their supporters. Everton supporters, I think a little bit more worried and worried because not only what's happened on the field of play and the fact that, you know, they're not really bringing in signings of any real note in terms of spending money. They can't do that. The FFP situation, but I'm not sure about the finances of the football club because we learned over the weekend, and I thought this was a little bit off actually, that the CEO, the interim CEO, just inserted in the last couple of paragraphs of his programme notes, his first programme notes of the season, that they don't know when they're going to move into their new stadium. And this whole idea that they never really put a date on it anyway, so it doesn't matter that we haven't said that we're we're not going to move in next season or that the season after. We have to make a decision. We don't know what's going to happen because we don't know if we want to move in, uh, in, in in the middle of a season or at the end of a season. Well, that's ringing alarm bells for me. Yeah, I, I think... I think uh, it just sums up the, the financial issues that really have dogged Everton for some time now. Obviously, there was talk of new owners coming in, new investors. Doesn't really seem like that's getting off the ground. I feel a little bit for Farhad Mashiri because I think his intentions have been good. I think he's been very badly advised when you look at the money that's been wasted in the transfer market. But I think it's best for all concerned now if there's a change right at the top. Let's get to Bournemouth against West Ham. Uh, I thought Bournemouth would win this game, but I don't think the style of match actually suited the way that Iriola wants to play, I think they'll be better against teams that dominate the ball against them. And they had 65% possession. I don't think they want it that much, to be honest with you, Scott. And as a result of that, um, they had to come from behind to, to salvage a point. Yeah, yeah, they did. And um, 
I kind of predicted a, a Bournemouth 1-0 win and I was hoping I'd be wrong in this. So I was really pleased to see West Ham get on the score sheet. Look, I mean, again, you know, we've said it how many times on this pod, it's the first game of the season. The players aren't 100% fit. They're still getting to know all the sort of tactics and we know that Iraola has a, a very sort of high-intensity, high-pressing game. So, you know, organised chaos, wasn't it called one time? So, look, you know, it's going to take a bit of time. I think Bournemouth fans will enjoy what they're seeing as long as they understand they still will lose more games. Than, they, than they'll win. Um, for West Ham, I don't think it's a bad point. You know, I do think players will come in. I think you look at some players, will pack it to go, is what's happening with Mikel Antonio. Um, it can't just rely on him and Danny Ings, in my opinion. So I think they've got to bring in a striker. I just think it's one of those games where you just both sides are a bit like, yeah, OK, take a point, we'll move on and we'll try and crack on in the transfer window. Um, hold on, we, we've got to go now because uh, our time is up. Oh, hold on a second. It's okay. It's 10 minutes of added time. We've, we can keep going for a little bit longer. Um, no, we can't because I've got to get to Manchester. That was, that was a theme of the weekend, wasn't it? You know, the fact that there was so much added time. There were so Come many on. matches. And I actually just wanted to explain to you that five of the weekend's Premier League matches saw the clock reach the 100-minute mark um, as referees made sure... Uh, that any a time that was wasted was added on at the end. Nearly 104 minutes were played in cumulative added time across nine games. So we had an extra 104 minutes of football over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Friday. Uh, the average amount of injury time per game was a record high of 11 minutes, 34 seconds. Uh, ball in play has been a massive thing. Do you know, actually, on, on Friday night, the Manchester City uh, Burnley game, the ball was in play for 67 minutes, which is very, very good. It's usually around about 55, 56. And they're trying to up that by adding on the time. The longest game of the weekend, it was Newcastle Villa. Um, ball in play time was only 55 minutes, 23 seconds though. So despite the fact that it was the longest game of the weekend in terms of number of minutes, it actually had the shortest number of minutes in terms of ball in playtime. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? Right, that's it. Let's not add on any more time. Let's use the mercy rule before it's come in. Uh, Alex, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Scott, thanks to you as well. The Premier League All Access podcast back on Thursday to preview a whole weekend, another bumper weekend of brilliant Premier League action. I'll be going to Manchester City, Newcastle next weekend and West Ham Chelsea with the Crookmeister. Before we go off to Crystal Palace on the Monday night, where Arsenal will test their wares against Roy Hodgson. So a big weekend of actions. Crook's got all the transfer news throughout the course of the week. Make sure you stick with TalkSport and tell all your friends about Premier League All Access from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.